In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's a joy again to be with my co-host, Doug Berry. Uh, today we're going to be diving into that wonderful sacrament of confession, reconciliation. Uh, it takes a lot of different names depending <laughs> on which catechism you read and who was teaching you. And uh, for some of us, it's, it's maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's the easiest thing about being Catholic. And so uh, today we're just going to kind of dive into that great sacrament of healing, uh, that, as the catechism calls it, that uh, helps us to understand uh, who we are and how we can live our life uh, in relation to God ever more faithfully. And uh, I, I'm excited to kind of dive into this topic, Doug, because yeah. it's that time of year uh, we're recording in the last week of Advent and, you know, reconciliation services at the parishes are going on. Uh, the confessional lines are just kind of always a little busier this time of year, which is a joy to see. And uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that it's kind of a unspoken rule. It's not a precept of the church, actually. You don't have to go to confession during Advent, but a lot of people right. in preparation for Christmas obviously do. And uh, it's just a, always a timely thing to, to kind of remind ourselves um, as men in the church and uh, to, to our listening audience that, you know, this sacrament is not something that was imposed, you know, by men on uh, the church. It's not something that, you know, we, we kind of had any real strong debates about uh, over the course of the centuries. Uh, the, the form in which it took uh, historically has changed. Uh, you know, certainly I think people are glad we don't live in the third century anymore where <laughs> you publicly confessed your sins and then you had to do sometimes years of penance before yeah. you were reconciled with the church. Uh, private confession now is really uh, the the joy for most people that <laughs> the, the preferred option right right and uh and that we don't have uh, we don't have to state over and over again why because uh, i think a, a world that's so wounded and sees itself mm -hmm. wounded by its choices people have a, a basic understanding that we need to be reconciled not just you know to others but to, to be reconciled to god um but there's a means by which you know christ gave that to the church and, mm -hmm. and i, I want to begin there just kind of diving first into the New Testament to see a little bit about uh, what our Lord said about this sacrament and, uh, and a little bit in the Old Testament, but also just kind of what is the church's real teaching here and how can, how can we live it out a little bit better. So right. just kind of begin there with you. You know, you're, as you talked about in uh, one of our other podcasts, you're, you're a guy who reads books, but you don't have the degrees, but you, you've read enough and you've mm -hmm. been a practicing Catholic your whole life to, to, to offer you know, to our audience just a little bit about what confession means for you and then you know, the scripture that, that has inspire, inspires this, uh, this sacrament in the life of the church and help us to better understand that. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and it is interesting about you know, the sacrament of confession where you know, penance, reconciliation, whatever, whatever uh, you know, term it's given or title it's given, um, it ultimately 
comes back to a relationship with God, mm-hmm. acknowledging humbly our sins, admitting them, and both spiritually and naturally, there, there's, there's just that incredible healing, which we'll get into a little later. But where does this come from, the authority of this in particular? And a lot of people over the years have come up to me and said, well, how can a man forgive sins? Well, you have to look at the, the context, of course, and it's after the resurrection when Jesus comes to the apostles, Gospel of John chapter 20, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you hold bound are held bound. He doesn't do this to the general public. He's doing it to the apostles. It's specifically to the authority now of those that, uh, that he, has, he has put in charge of, of the deposit of faith, uh, he's entrusted the church to. Um, and you carry that back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, the, the fantastic, you know, I love the drama of God. Mm. You know, he's the, he's the greatest writer of drama out there. You know where he, he's uh, sitting around in Caesarea Philippi, and he's sitting around this area with, the, with the, his disciples, and he asks them, who do, who do people say I am? And eventually he gets to the point of Peter saying, you know, you are the Christ, you know, after he says, who do you say I am? And, P- and Peter says, you're, you are the Christ, you are the one, you know, we've been waiting for for centuries, the, the prophecies of the, of the Redeemer that's going to come into the world and save us. All this is what is meant by that. And the Lord says, you know, man has not revealed this to you, but my father has. And then he, he tells him that he's going to build his church on him and that he will give him the keys and what he loses on earth will be loosed in heaven and, and bound earth bound in heaven. And, and there's this fantastic moment of authority that's going to be given to Peter, which is completed later after the resurrection when he asked him three times, you love me, feed my sheep, and so forth and such. But this authority is absolutely essential to understand why the sacrament of confession and everything else that the church teaches authoritatively is so important because it goes back to Christ speaking to Peter and to the apostles in these, I think, these two real critical moments because it's, it's established just upon them, you will be the ones that I'm going to build this church, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread throughout the world through you. So to breathe on them and say in the Gospel of John, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you hold bound are held bound, that, that's a fantastic, I mean, really in a sense of overwhelming, <laughs> I don't know how you can overstate the power that he's giving to a man, to these, these particular men, and that authority then is handed on down to the priesthood such as yourself. And, and, and that has to be, I think, embraced by us. We have to look at that first, and I have to, internally I have to own that because mm. it's, it's, it's not enough for me just to go to confession to this priest or that priest and, you know, face it, Father, I mean, you know priest, you are one. Personalities are different from priest to priest <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. You know, you come out of that confession and you think, wow, that was like I just got beat up a little bit, you know, challenging, you know, personality. And sometimes it's very gentle. And I never forget one priest who I'd go to confession to him. And I would, at the, at the end of, conf- of my confessing my sins, he would always start off by saying, Jesus is merciful every single time. And the tone of voice has resonated with me to this day. And this was, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe. And then there are those, you know, who might say, cut it out. What's the matter with you? You know, in so many words, you get a variety of personalities. But ultimately, the authority of that sacrament, and as I've said to my wife, my kids, and others over the years, is if you received absolution from a priest, your sins are gone, regardless of whether or not you've, you've felt a certain way. And I wanted to say that because it's too easy for us to feel whether or not we have received mercy, rather than understanding the authority of the church, going back to these two particular passages in Matthew and John, that Christ gives the apostles, then transferred down through ordination and such to the priesthood, the authority to do this. And that has to be, I think, at the root of our 
of our, our logical, reasonable understanding of what's going on here. Right. Yeah. And it's, as you mentioned, it's, it's a reasonable understanding. And I, I think that's growing up here in Northeast Texas, uh, where we are certainly the minority. And I think even in, I've lived in other places in our country, this is misunderstood in heavily Catholic cities too. Sure, you know, sure. there's kind of the, oh, the magic of confession and father just forgives it. Well, well, no, I mean, the, the authority is given, but if you're not truly penitent, if you don't really care that you've sinned and you come in and tell the priest your sins, like mm. if there's no sincere desire for conversion and no sincere desire for receiving that forgiveness, then it's your sins aren't forgiven, but right. that's not the fault of the priest or the church. That's the fault of your own sure. soul. Yeah. You're, you're lacking d- some humility there. And right. <laughs> some contrition. Right. And I, that's, that's such a man that's a, a a big part of this is is re- recognizing in humility that we come before the tribunal of mercy uh, that we, we really need to always have a a concrete understanding of our relationship to God mm-hmm. and the authority that he gave us it, it's as a humble creature to his creator um, but the, yeah the, the the Bible really supports uh, and then James and uh, uh, I think it's chapter four uh, we're talking about, you know, go and confess your sins and to be healed. We really, in that context, we're talking about the sacrament of anointing um, for, for healing. But uh, just look at the Old Testament. I mean, that, that really has been such a beautiful uh, part of my own studies really on the sacrament is understanding how the revelation of God's mercy unfolded through uh, the covenants and really understanding how the whole desire of our Lord was to have us be reconciled, re- reconciled or reconciled back to mm-hmm. him that we, we see in that Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, that, in that restoration of our lives and our souls with our Lord. And, and so that through the prophets uh, of the ages, and again, this last few days of Advent, we especially see the focus on John the Baptist as the, the last and the greatest prophet, mm-hmm. that what happens in John's baptism is a forgiveness of sins and, you know, to be pure and to be able to receive the grace of God. And, and that restoration of, of our whole lives to God, or what St. Isidore Seville says, that justification, which mm-hmm. is a, a different th- theological term, but how are we even justified in the first place? Mm-hmm. We're justified by Christ's death on the cross. And in the sacrament of confession, that justification, once again, it kind of explodes in a sense in our, in our lives. And that restoration of unity with our Lord becomes ever more real. And, and how that's lived out, and the, the catechism talks about this, is, is really seeing the act of the, of the penitent, seeing the one who's making the confession, having that firm purpose of amendment mm-hmm. um, to turn away from sin. Um, to do their penance and, you know, to ultimately to say their act of contrition. But these conditions that exist, you know, you think about it in the secular world, somebody goes to a, a counselor to not confess their sins, but to kind of get things off their chest. Right. What does the counselor ultimately have to get to? The point where that person's being honest, right? right? To have the humility to really open up and say, these, these are parts of my life that I'm not proud of. These are parts of my life that I'm struggling with. And the beauty of the sacrament of confession in, in this very specific sense is that it opens evermore that honest conversation between ourselves and our Lord. Um, so I, I really enjoy that aspect of how we see confession mm-hmm. in a logical, psychological, 
in biblical way, but just give it a little well, bit. Go ahead. I'm sorry, and on that point too, I, I, you made me think about that counselor's talking to that that individual, and they want them to be honest, but they also they're, they're hopefully trying to get them to realize that if you have issues in your life that are out of order, in order for that to be reordered or reconciled, um, you have to be you know willing and ready to make the changes. In other mm. words, a firm amendment to change your life in confession. Well, just like a counselor would say, you have to have a firm amendment to stop doing the things that you're doing, the behavior that you're engaging in that's causing some of these problems. You're, you're, you're nailing your own cross together, so to speak, and, and creating more chaos. And if you're going to come to a counselor and, and open up and talk about it but have no real desire to make changes mm-hmm. that the counselor is going to tell you you need to make in order to get things right, you're not going to get very far nope. with that counselor and just wasting your money right. and your time. And the counselor might not mind that, but yeah, uh, exactly. But you know, as priests, we don't. You know, we're not charging by the hour yeah, or anything like that. So I mean, <laughs> I just hope people don't don't come in without that firm purpose of amendment because it it really it, you walk away knowing that you left something that yeah. not there on the table that you need right. to put on the table. But you know, kind of getting a little bit back into the scriptural aspect of it and and seeing that authority. Um, that's a hard part, I think, for people to kind of reconcile sometimes is that why yeah. does why do I need to go to a man? Why do I need to go to a priest? And and this gets into the scripture as it opens up and blossoms in the in the in the dynamic of the church's teaching in the mm-hmm. catechism, um, understanding that that authority to forgive sins in that moment, again, is not the man. It's not Justin Braun, it's not bishop whomever it's it's christ forgiving the sins through that and uh, just curious how you kind of saw that in your own life like how did that realization come about and well for me i mean it was you know growing up catholic i was i was going through the motions of all of that but then when i hit as i think a lot of people do the moment where you're questioning how does this man have this authority and so forth about how can this happen this way and then of course somebody comes along somewhere some kid at school or somebody at work and says, ah, man can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins, and so forth. And so, yeah, the questions are there. Now you've got to wrestle with this. And for me, I think a lot of it was um, not only the fact that Scripture states it, and if I'm going to believe in the Word of God, I really do have to I have to take that seriously and acknowledge mm-hmm. that. But then in the personal aspect of it, I remember hearing a priest say, if you have a hard time with confession, you need to go once a month for at least nine, ten months, a year even, without fail once a month. And, and you know, yes, I asked why, and well, because this is a this is a mystery that I can't explain to you in great detail. It is beyond even me. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I've been ordained a priest. That gives me a a this this impersona Christi uh, part of me that that. I can't explain. That's mystery. That, that's God. So you go to God, and you go to God once a month for nine, ten months, or up to a year even, without fail, and you let him explain it to you. And that struck me. So for me personally, the, the, the reasonable aspect of Scripture states this, and okay, the church teaches this, and okay, yeah, okay, and then someone challenges, and then, but when this priest looked at me and said, you go to God and let him explain it, mm. that said to me, this is outside of of, of, of man's ability to fully understand, that took it to another level for me. So that was a, that was a big moment for me, was, whoa, wait a minute, this, there's something different here. God has to explain this? Well, this must be something outside of my, you know, my, my ability on a human level to rationally embrace. 
So that was a key thing for me. Not everybody's going to get that, of course, but right. that priest put that, that question that way, let God explain it. It's his sacrament. It's mystery. And it's there has to be an aspect of grace brought into this to more deeply own what this mystery is. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, an important thing for people who are listening to kind of understand is that mm-hmm. it's a mystery, and before the, the altar of mystery, we mm-hmm. we will always try to figure out as much as we can mm-hmm. before we get there. But this is, as we celebrate uh, at Christmas coming so soon, this is part of the incarnation, that, mm-hmm. that Christ took on flesh, and he knows flesh intimately. He knows the weaknesses of man. Mm-hmm. He understands. He sympathizes. He never sinned, but he knows the depths of man's heart. Mm-hmm. And to go to him through the instrumental work of the priest, what baffles me is why Why would you not go? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think right. overwhelmingly, and you study a little bit of history. I've studied a little bit, you know, psychology and counseling the the, the, the I mean these are booming fields and mm-hmm. in, in the United States and all over the western world and part of that is the loss of confession you know mm-hmm. as a as a cultural reality that you know in an overwhelmingly christian culture men women children were going to be reconciled to god and having even in a rudimentary fashion some good counsel given to them to help mm. guide their souls, to help guide their intellect, their psych- psychological well-being. Um, and in the absence of that, in the absence of being reconciled, in the absence of having that moment of humility on a, on a regular basis where you're, you're just coming before God and exposing your heart to him, uh, you know, we get hardened. We, we, we lose a sense of sin. Certainly, I think, is one of the, been the most drastic effects of, of not going to confession right. is just people say, well, sin, is does it even really exist anymore? Yeah. And no, we have to enter into that mystery of God does know us better than we know ourselves, mm-hmm. and it's okay to admit that. And in the meantime, so that I can know myself better and so that I can be reconciled to him, to myself, and to others, I need to take advantage of the sacrament, this means of my salvation and this instrumental way of bringing me closer to him. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's and that personal ownership that I mean that requires a, a real attitude of discipline, maturity, mm-hmm. um, and that's another thing that's that's lacking in our society on another mm-hmm. level than it ever has been to, to a large degree. You know, the talk about you know whether they use the word millennials who are living in their parents' basement or whatever term, whatever visual, whatever um, kind of dynamic we're, we're hearing discussed out there these days. There is a there seems to be a lack of, of kind of mature, responsible ownership of certain things that 50, 60, 70, whatever years back, you kind of sensed. I think back to World War II, you know, December 7, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was struck by the Japanese attack. And the next day, young men took ownership even of defending the country and in a very mature way lined up and signed up in, in recruiting centers across the country. And the youngest man that signed up to fight in World War II was 12. By the time he was 14, he was in the Navy. He had done something so above and beyond the call of duty that he was awarded the Medal of Honor at 14. Hmm. I mean, and and the majority of guys that signed up were 17, 18, 19 years old. And they signed up by the the tens of thousands. And, And the point being that there was something in the air and that's just one simple example, because it was male, female across the board. There was just a different attitude of ownership, responsibility, maturity regarding themselves and life as a whole. And communication relationships, yes, there were problems, but 
it's different now. When the divorce rate back in 1955 was 10%, and by 1995 it had gone to 50%, you know, in America alone, you see there's a breakdown. Well, what is it? Well, a lot of that in marriage is, is the irresponsibility, the immaturity, the lack of, of, uh, of discipline and so forth. These are, these are major parts. You know, emotions and feelings start to dominate mm-hmm. rather than, no, I, I have a vow here that right. I, I just won't break. Um, and all that, I think, is, is kind of part of this bigger picture that so now sin isn't as big a deal anymore. If it's a big deal at all, if it exists at all, right. everything's moral relativism now. Um, and so, you know, why go to confession? Well, you make a great point. We're going to counselors and therapists like crazy, though, because it still points out that there's something that we need on, a, on an interior and, and, well, on a natural level even. That right. We need what confession brings in, in all these different departments. Yeah, I think it's 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 a fascinating kind of cultural reality that we're struggling with in the church globally. Um, you know, statistics are 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 what they are, but there there is no denying it in in the church across the world that confession has become less and mm-hmm. less part of the fabric of our Catholic life, and and probably the greatest manifestation of this. And then to my brother priest, I, I'm not picking on you, but but I am kind of picking on you. Um, <laughs> We offer confession for half an hour on Saturday yeah. afternoon from 3.45 to 4.15, basically the time that nobody wants to go to church unless you're you know, one of the Saturday yeah. evening people. And you oftentimes make—we we have a bad habit of making it an inconvenience for the people of God. And so it, the, there's a number of factors that affect the decision to limit or set aside specific times. And so— Throughout the country in the United States, I know uh, the Diocese of Dallas, I think, is doing this soon, and, and Diocese of Tyler, we, we, we don't advertise it as such, but we, we increase our hours, obviously, mm-hmm. during these penitential seasons, preparing for Christmas and Easter. But, you know, one of the things I think that, that one of the reasons it is underrated is because it's not a, it's not a priority. Right. If you look at a pre-schedule, there's 20 hours of meetings, there's, you know, seven or eight masses a week, there's 10 meetings with this couple, these couples for marriage prep, there's teaching this, teaching that, and, and that little corner of his, right. of his schedule is there that, that one hour dedicated to public uh, confession. Now, most of us are available by appointment, and I think people do genu- genuinely take advantage of that, but, you know, what's valuable to us is stated on our calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so, that's a really good way of putting that. What's valuable is stated on the calendar, as it is with anybody in their life. And I agree with that. You know, when I travel around the country for conferences or parish events, um, a lot of times I will – I will look at the parish. I'll, I'll go to like masstimes.org and mm-hmm. some of these sites, and just I want to if I want to get the daily mass, I want to go to adoration, I want to go to confession, or I just want to see what's going on in the area because that kind of gives you a window into kind of what you're right. dealing with when you're going to to evangelize in an area. And there are many, many cases exactly like you just defined that it's 30 minutes on Saturday or by appointment, and then there are those those parishes here and there where it's you know for 30 minutes before every mass. Mm-hmm. Daily mass, noon mass, whatever, you know, uh, as well as th- two t- two different times on Saturday for an hour each, you mm-hmm. know, and by appointment if you want. But that makes me think, okay, this this pastor here, this parish here, they're they're cooking with oil, right? All right, baby, right. they 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 got this going right. And you know, <clears throat> pardon me, but you know, the average person out there who who might be a uh, devoted confession 
goer, you know, where, yeah, I go every couple of weeks myself personally. I try to go sometimes every week, you know, during Advent, I'm trying to step it up a bit, you know, and, and in general, my spiritual director years ago had told me, you know, once a month is great, Doug. And then years later, a new spiritual director, yeah, I go every two weeks. And I'm, I looked at him and said, well, what are you seeing that the other one, <laughs> that the other one didn't? <laughs> but that, that there, there are some who go on a regular basis. Making an appointment is not a problem. I don't mind calling a priest sure. to make an appointment. But there are those out there who haven't been to confession for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and it's not maybe as common for them. I've had people tell me, I'm not going to call a priest out of the blue. I want to be able to walk into the church having seen the sign, confessions available, and just know I can go into that confessional, I can be anonymous, and I, I just I want to hit that right moment at that right time. It's hard for people who are really struggling with coming back to the church mm-hmm. to make an appointment, because once you make the appointment, now you're going to have the temptations, whether it's from the enemy, the, the devil, or on a natural level of, well, I don't know, maybe I should just cancel it. Maybe I shouldn't go. And I mean, some natural things and some supernatural aspects we got to consider here. Right. So we throw the net out constantly by, by having it available. Um, then, you know, it's like me telling my kids, I will always listen. You call me anytime, and I will even create opportunities for us to get together so I'll be sitting here alone. We'll go whether it's out to dinner or whether you come over to the house for dinner or something, and then we'll just sit in the living room. And I'm gonna I'm gonna provide opportunities for my kids to talk to me. Is what I'm saying. Right. And if a priest can do that with confession, provide the opportunities for your flock to come in and talk. What a huge difference. Yeah, it's one of the benefits of being on this side of uh, of the confessional. Being mm-hmm. a priest is uh, the the beauty of of hearing confessions. It it's humbling. Oh my gosh, is it humbling? Um, you know, you've got your your daily mass communicants who will pop in and just floor you with the the simplicity and and the, the struggles that they're going through. That you know, you know that their faith is very real. You see, I mean, I see, I see it on a daily basis, and and yet they they have the humility and the courage to come before our Lord and and make that weekly confession every other week. And it's increased not only my desire mm-hmm. to make better confessions myself, to, to when I go, I'm going to, you know, I mean, I really need to examine my conscience and make sure I'm making a good confession. But what it's also done is helped me to see that this, this amount of healing that has to happen, um, it, it's, I'm just getting a local picture. Mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine, uh, you know, I did campus ministry a couple years ago for uh, a few years, and uh, we had confessions for an hour before every daily mass, five nice. days a week and on Sundays. And there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't hear, you know, at least a half a dozen mm-hmm. uh, great confessions. And, and sure, people struggle with repetitive sins. They struggle with just, you know, the cultural barrage of relativism that says you can do what you want whenever you want and right. feel no guilt, but but they're still making that effort. And it, and it, it again, speaks to me about the fact that we as priests, um, we have basically an honor to do this, but also an obligation to yeah. make it available. Um, so I hope that encourages some some of the priests that might be listening, but uh, to encourage the lay faithful too, to talk to your, talk to your local priest about it. Like, you know, it's not something that people want to, you know, sign a petition for, but it maybe just schedule an appointment and say, hey, Father, I really was thinking about what can we do as a parish to kind of help increase the spiritual health mm, of a parish? Because right. spiritual health of a parish is really what we're talking about. And you said you, you analyze kind of the masstimes.org thing, and I do the same thing. Um, a basic principle I have is making sure that, you know, there's at least an hour available for every Sunday mass. Mm-hmm. So if you have four Sunday masses, 
make sure there's four hours of posted confessions. If mm. you have um, if you have the availability and you have multiple priests, uh, at times we've done this where during the Sunday Mass, one of us is in the box. Um, and, and that's something that's kind of weird. It's it's hard sometimes for people to kind of wrap their mind around, and it's, it's, it's different. But it's, hey, we're being as radically available as we can. Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. literally already here for Mass. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with going to confession during Mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want you to have a, the best experience of receiving our Lord as you possibly can and give, mm-hmm. you know, that reverence of for the Eucharist comes from a pure heart um, mm-hmm. to be reconciled. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, why do you think, why do you think it's become an underrated or an undervalued sacrament in your lifetime? Well, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind right away is always, well, not always, but in this case, um, it, you know, when I did um, a co-host of Life on the Rock on EWTN for eight years, we interviewed several exorcists. And in conversation, on camera or off camera, and then in books that I've read, written by exorcists, or mm-hmm. statements I've heard from exorcists in general, and I've asked, come out and ask a, a couple of them just this question. I've heard, Father, please tell me if this is accurate, that the devil fears, simply put, the devil fears a good holy confession more than he fears an actual, the right of exorcism. And all of them have said, in, in essence, yes. Because the power of, of a confession that, that Christ, through the priest, erases, wipes away sins, reconciles, heals, and all the amazing, beautiful just attributes that come with that um, takes place when, when we individually, humbly acknowledge, I need to do this, and I'm going to walk on my own into that church. I'm going to go into that confessional. I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to open my mouth, and I'm going to admit I'm a sinner, and this is where and how. Um, the devil can't, can't, can't compete with that. That, that. That's the humility of the individual person saying, I don't want you you're referring to the enemy, I want God. I mean, in an exorcism, the individual's possessed. And, you know, uh, I just recently had an interview with a woman who had been through a year and a half mm. of up to 40 sessions of, of the rite of exorcism. She'd been dealing with this for years, and when it was finally found out, she'd been dabbling in the occult and so forth when she was in high school, had an abortion and so forth, a lot of sins she never confessed. And so by the time she's a married woman, she's got this entire world that's upside down. She goes through a year and a half, 40 sessions, and she describes how there are time, there were times when the demons would take control of her vocal cords, mm-hmm. and she could not control her voice. She could not control when she would shove somebody off her, and it took several men to hold her down at times. Okay, these are examples of a possession, right? Well, you know, the devil's got a hold of you. You're at the mercy now of the priest who comes in and is performing the exorcism right. But when you, of your own free will, walk into that confessional, all right, that's powerful. So all that being said, I can clearly understand why the demons, why the devils are doing everything possible to minimize and discredit the importance of confession through mm-hmm. every means possible. Social media, moral relativism, which is a tyrannical beast that's destroying on many levels, um, watering down the faith of some priests who do not, as we've talked about, make confession important on, on the scale, um, but especially in families. Mm. Me as a husband and father, I set the bar in my home. And so when my kids were younger, I would, I would say, okay, we're going to confession. You know, and I know I, I hear this all the time. Mothers come up to me after talks in churches and such and say, what do I do to get my kids to confess? Where's your husband at on this subject? Yep. And if that man is not on board with this, then it's going to be a lot harder. But if he's on board, then you can do something with it. Well, he'll go sometimes. Regularly, he'll go. But, but he won't really say much about it. Well, he's got to talk about it too. 
Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons I think also, not only is there a spiritual component to this, there's a societal component of just uh, the, the, the tyranny of moral relativism and so forth, but on a, on a family by family by family level, if dad, got to put it on us men, us husbands and fathers out there, if we are not setting that standard, my kids know I go regularly. And even though none of my kids live under my roof anymore, I am regularly encouraging them, reminding them, just and not in a beat them over the head way, and I'm not pointing my finger at them, but I just remind them, don't forget confession. Don't forget guard your soul. I always say keep those hands up, left and right fists. It's like prayer and sacraments. Left hand's prayer, right hand sacraments. Keep them up. Don't lower your guard or you're going to get hit in the head and the devil's going to knock you down. Point being, husbands, fathers, one of the reasons confession is not so important is because of us. Yeah, and that's a great image, uh, Doug. I really like that, uh, the prayer and sacraments thing. Yeah. I'm a right-hander, so sacraments, sacraments you know, over here, yeah. Yeah, the, the heavy hook. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But the, uh, yeah, it, it is true, and, and we talked a little bit this about this. I did with my father not being Catholic until about three years ago. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with the benefit of mm. having a dad who regularly went to confession, but... I did have the benefit of a dad who drive, drive me to confession, yeah. um, and who who certainly knew I needed to go. Yeah. Uh, and he ne- so he never opposed it. Then. No, absolutely. Yeah, not. he supported you in it. And, yeah, uh, that's great. And, and seeing experientially, you know, as a, a parish priest for seven and a half years, mm-hmm. like where where do I find the most um, the most people going to confession? It's the parishes where the most men are going to confession. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have dad leading the way when you have a husband who's making this a priority um it it just it the the evidence is there in spades and one thing i I really would offer to that uh that kind of us trying to encourage families specifically Mm -hmm. is um don't make this so awkward you know that i think there is that kind of push and pull of uh, you know i've got to go no well it's a good thing to go, so let's go. Yeah. We're going to go. Um, it's not going to last that long. We'll get through it. Um, you know, Saturdays is usually the day that it's, mm-hmm. you know, publicly available. Um, but as a family, you go. It's over with. And then you go do something fun. Uh, you stay, sure. you know, finish your, you know, do your penance. Um, but don't make this just a, uh, we're just going to run church get rid of our sins and then come back home and sit on the couch and, you know, watch Netflix and, and just waste the rest of our day. Right. It's, it's recreative. It's restorative. So it's restoring life. And, and to walk out of that with uh, your fa- to see your family and to, to know that there's healing that's going to happen because the grace of the sacraments actually affecting your soul and affecting the relationships you have with your family to build on that, to yeah. make it a, a and to a degree, I think I've recommended this to some of my spiritual directees, like, this can be like a, a little monthly uh, mini retreat for you and your family. Yeah. Get up on Saturday morning, go to daily mass, go to confession afterwards or before, however it's offered, um, and then you know do something as a family together. And, and therefore, it's not as burdensome. When we when we lay the burden down, you said kind of pointing the finger. When we do it that way, mm-hmm. yeah, it. It's totally unattractive. Why would I want to go? Yeah, There's a neg- negative association with right. it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Make it a celebration. You know, right, that's what it is. We're, we're celebrating a sacrament. Yeah, we're renewed. We're going to confession. Our souls are polished up. We're squeaky clean. Let's let's go get something to eat. Let's let's go right. do something that says this matters. This is important. And when we husbands and fathers, and in you know, obviously with uh, cooperation with our wives, are on the same page with that, those kids just get used to this. You know, this is this is great. Yeah, it's it's humbling. You know, to go and admit, Father, I've sinned. I've, I've done this, 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 and 
you know, and, and I bring this up a lot when I talk about it. I say, raise your hand if I'm in a church of 500 people or 50 people or 1,000, you know, men's conference of 1,000. I say, guys, raise your hand if you've ever been to confession for the same sin over and over and over and over. Right. And every hand right. goes up, right. whether it's greed, envy, lust, pride, jealousy, gossip. I mean, you know, and one of the best bits of advice I ever heard from, well, I've heard it from a couple of different priests in different ways, but one directly was don't beat yourself up for your humanity or over your humanity. Mm. Okay, there's an aspect of your human nature that that you will will wrestle with until you right. die. Right. And our Lord's looking for the perseverance. I think you said something earlier which gave me that impression of that we can't forget. St. Paul says, you know, those who persevere will find salvation. Our Lord doesn't say those who get it all figured out and never fall again. He says those who don't quit. Right. So don't quit, keep going, but celebrate that. So if we, yeah, take your kids out for something to eat or go to the park and whatever it may be, just let them know, hey, this is a big deal. You're now, you're renewed once again. It's right. kind of, remember, Father, we celebrate, and you do this, you know, we have first communions for your kids, yeah, right, and it's yeah. your parish, and we celebrate like crazy, first right. communion, first confession, yay. Well, why not celebrate all of them? Right, In right. some way, at least something that says Every single time we receive that great sacrament of confession or receive our Lord in communion, it's a it's a it's a beautiful day just for that alone. Right. Let's Absolutely. emphasize that. Well, and for a dad, I think to to encourage dads to say to their their sons and their daughters, "I'm proud of you. you know, yes. I'm proud of you that you just simple that pat on the back. I'm proud of you that you went to confession. Um, that again that that helps restore greater confidence in mm-hmm. their own individuality. That I'm. I'm making good decisions yeah. um, and how that unfolds later in life. We, we obviously can't predict, but overwhelmingly I can say, you know, I've seen kids, you know, from seven or eight, you know, making their first confession to 14, 15. Now that I know personally, mm-hmm. I know their families and I see the difference. I see a kid who has better self-esteem. I see a kid who has better right. recognition of who he is in relationship to the world. And, and so just to, to really encourage making it, making it an attractive option. Um, and for the parish, uh, Parish priests out there, again, I always want to just give a little encouragement to my brothers. Brothers, it's just, you know, keep it up. Um, it, whether you're only offering a half hour right now or you're offering 10 hours a week, you know, whatever you're doing, don't stop. And if, even if you're sitting in the box and you're hearing crickets and you're praying your mm-hmm. bravery and your rosary and reading the latest news on Facebook or whatever, I mean, just stay in the box because you never know when that beautiful soul who hasn't been in decades is going to walk in and offer you one of the most beautiful and humbling opportunities of your life to, to reconcile that person to God. So I want to kind of close up on that, uh, that discussion and just move in a little bit more into, you know, the real effects of confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the grace, the objectivity of it is, is so beautiful um, in that, yes, we're restored to our, our union with the Lord. And, and we talked a little bit about this, I know, in one of our episodes about um, our, our intellect and our will is dimmed by original sin. Right. And even though original sin is wiped clean in the gift of baptism, concupiscence remains. So that, that kind of that gray, uh, not so light, uh, that kind of continues to drag us down, yeah. it, it, it is a real thing we got to deal with. Uh, corrosion. Yeah, and, and we're constantly fighting that corrosion. Got to get it off the battery terminal so your <laughs> right. car runs better. <laughs> right, but, that, but that's a, a good practical analogy that we need to kind of understand. And I, I think the healing effect of confession, you know, I'll kind of just take, take the lead on this for a moment, is, uh, is first and foremost that, you know, you are healed in your soul. And that intimate place where the catechism says, you know, God speaks to us, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I just 
the other night I was watching, uh, after a very long day of work, I was, uh, one of the Batman trilogies was on and it was, I was thinking about that, that image of the cave and we got Plato's cave, this, this whole, this (laughs) historical image that we use, but, um, you know, a cave is a dark, damp place. (laughs) It's not really all that aesthetically appealing. Um, but what happens when Batman leaves the cave? What happens when man comes out of the cave? He sees the light. Hmm. And I think that's one of the, the, the most obvious things is that through the grace of a good confession, your soul is a light with God again. Like yeah. You see him and he sees you. And there's, there's a beauty in that, that that can't be overstated. And it's part of that mystery that your soul is a light. And when you're a little less burdened, uh, when you're a little less caught up in the traction of your own sinfulness, you're able to be a light to the world. There's a missionary kind of or evangelical dynamic that comes with the healing graces of confession. So it's one of the things I thought is just a beautiful thing that I've noticed and, and continue to think about is how as missionary disciples, as we seek to bring the kingdom of God into the world, like this begins with that interior conversion, obviously, and that's something to catechism states very clearly is there's an interior conversion of the heart but it it, it, when the heart is pure and beautiful and on fire it can't resist uh, others can't resist it they see that and they want to what has he got so that's one of the things i want to just kind of lead with but asking you what's what's on your mind with this well that yeah i mean a couple things you said there made me think of a couple different things one is you mentioned about the the center of the person is something intimate inside you know the the ninth um commandment about uh, you should not cover your neighbor's wife um in the catechism it's written in there uh the virtue of modesty is essential to chastity chastity is essential to salvation it's it's kind of wrapped up in the sixth and ninth commandments really there but it states that modesty protects the intimate center of the person and i mean so you go a couple different directions about this but We're not talking about modesty specifically right now, but the term intimate center of the person. Mm. We don't talk that way. Right. We should, because we have an intimate center. If you think about the fact that I just given a talk recently at the at the high school at Gorman High School last week about this about the fact that we're created in the image and likeness of God, and what does that mean? Well, intellect and free will, sure, but let's go a little deeper on that. That every individual, as the Catechism teaches, has the divine image of Christ imprinted in his his or her soul. So this intimate center, this divine image of Christ, there's this amazing connection with God that we as human beings have. It gets cloudy and and nasty and corroded with sin, and then we don't see as well. The the, the vision is, is clouded, as you said. And then I think of the sixth beatitude based on what you said there, Father, that blessed are the pure of heart, they will see the face of God. So again, that purity, that intimate center being pure allows us to see God, which Back to the first commandment, I'm thinking here, my mind's going all over the place right now. Mm. Uh, you know, a first commandment, you shall not have any false gods. I'm the Lord your God. Have no false gods before me. Do not worship any graven images. But that first commandment also commands us to seek God. Yep. So we're, we're commanded to seek him as a first commandment, to see him, to seek him, to look for him, have a relationship with him. It gets cloudy with sin. Well, what's the obvious thing to do here there? You got you to gotta get the sin out of the way so you can have the pure of heart to see the face of God, as the Beatitude says, protect your intimate center, that divine image of Christ that's imprinted on the soul. This just all has to be pondered, thought about, lived out, and prayed about to really own personally that the the effects of of the sacrament of confession, receiving God's healing mercy on so many levels is just, is, is, is off the charts amazing. 
but we need to talk this way about it as right. well. We're going to talk amazing about, oh, it's our sports teams, and, oh, playoffs are coming up. You know, is my team going to make it? Oh, they play amazing, and he's an amazing athlete, and she's an incredible, you know, pole vault or whatever your sport is. But the soul, the intimate center of the person, the vision of God, the, to be able to see God's face by being pure of heart, these things, to see Christ in each other, I mean, these are things that are great effects from a good confession, just mm-hmm. on the spiritual level. But on the natural level, I mean... To have somebody verbally tell you you're forgiven, that alone is huge. I mean, I need it from my wife regularly when I have to go apologize for something, right. for her to say, I forgive you. And if she doesn't say it at first, I'm thinking, wait a minute, come on, sweetheart. Uh, <laughs> doesn't feel like everything is complete here until, right. you know, it's, oh, yeah, I, I forgive you. Basically, we're built that way by mm-hmm. God that audibly even we want to hear someone say or on a natural level we want to know that we are forgiven. And God structures that with the confession. Right. It's Great. incredible. Grace building on nature. Yeah. You know, always Thomas Aquinas. That's and some you said there that I, I really wanted to kind of explore more is also just the healing effects of confession as they affect <clears throat> us socially. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the great graces of, of a of a life with regular confession is that you're more easily able to forgive others mm-hmm. um, yeah. and to ask for forgiveness. I, I give a lot of talks at our marriage retreats in the diocese and a couple other places. And one of the things that I always try to emphasize with couples that are preparing for marriage, couples that are married, is it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. It's a totally different thing to ask for forgiveness, mm-hmm. to say, honey, will you forgive me for X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Because there's a vulnerability there that that other person could say no. Yeah. Or that even in saying yes, that they're not going to be 100% forgiving because of their own woundedness, but that you've given them the opportunity to, to forgive you. When you just flippantly say, I'm sorry, um, your attitude is kind of like, well, I'm doing this because it's the nice thing to do. But when you say, will you forgive me? And, and your spouse says to you, yeah, Doug, I love you. I, of course I forgive you. Whew, that, that reconciliation and healing is a lot more audible yeah. and powerful um, and, and not to mention, you know, you know, those words, when my wife's, when I hear from my wife's voice, knowing her voice in particular in that <laughs> case, you know, so it's kind of like the idea of knowing, the, you know, the voice of God through the priesthood. There, there's something about if I have the confidence, as we said at the beginning of the program, of, uh, you know, this authority of, that Christ gives the priest. So when I hear the priest say it, and I've tried to teach my kids this and en- encourage my wife and try to remember myself is that... That's our Lord's voice right there at that moment. So if I hear it from a loved one, my wife, you know, a parent, somebody, a friend, you know, yeah, I, Doug, I do forgive you. You know, that that voice, that experience of mm-hmm. knowing that voice has is even makes it that much greater. Right, right. And yeah. those beautiful words that are objective, they're not mine, they're not Father so-and-so. It's God the Father, mercy through the death and resurrection of his son has reconciled the world to him. Mm. It could be even said that fast, but here's the thing. That's God. Mm. That's just God using simple words, and we know He's not bound by these words. He, you know, but He works instrumentally. He does work through yes. these graces that He gives to the sacraments. Yeah. That 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 reconciliation. God, the Father, of mercy is who has reconciled the world to Himself. That's massive. That we hear those words, and then, of course, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That okay, all right. Uh, yeah, I can go now. I can I can go and live better and fight like heck yeah. to, to beat I, those demons. I just feel like Superman coming out of the foam booth. You know, right. You know, like, after, All right. Da, da, da. <laughs> I'm ready to do this again. So 
Yeah, there's just the healing graces that come with it, and and thinking a little bit more even in the intimacy of family life because it's all it's all all comes together in the family. Um, that a father who is forgiven knows how to forgive. Yeah. Uh, a husband who's forgiven knows how to forgive. A, a wife, a mother, a child, and. and People often, you know, I work with, like you, I work with a lot of high school kids, college-age kids, but even with young children, you know, people talk about the ingratitude of mm. or in the entitlement. And, and part of that's because kids aren't having to say, I'm sorry. Mm. You know, they're not having to own their mistakes. They're not having to acknowledge that they've, they've yeah. failed. And when we create a culture that says you cannot make mistakes, well, what do you expect? You're going to get a lot of really unforgiving people because yeah. nobody ever actually does anything wrong. Right. Um, and so thinking about how that works out, you know, you think I've got lots of nephews and nieces and uh, recently spent time with them and knowing their, their lives. I know that they go to confession, mm-hmm. you know, with some regularity and they can, boy, can they, they can have some fights, but, but, <laughs> but I also see, you know, um, my nephew, especially he's, you know, I've got three, one sister has three and three, three boys, three girls. The, the, um, the middle boy, uh, Timmy is just, I mean, I love that kid. He cracks me up, but, uh, he's, he's a big reconciler. Like mm. he's a middle child. So that's part of it. He knows he has to kind of put both teams together. Right. Come but, on guys. Can't we just get along? Right. Right. <laughs> but, but he, he demonstrates it through not only his words, but his actions mm. that, you know, that there's, Good. there's true contrition there. And, and that comes from him acknowledging that he's, you know, I've made a mistake mm. and I need to work to fix it. And, and to, to really encourage on that side, this is where the domestic church, the home becomes really the best teacher. Um, Cause the, ch- the church is here to assist the family, but the family is ultimately where these kids are going to learn right. good and bad. They're going right. to learn forgiveness or unforgiveness, like mom and dad having that, heart-to-heart with each other on a regular basis, making sure that they're forgiving each other, they're not holding grudges, and that, that systemic kind of you know, death that comes in the heart when you mm-hmm. hold a grudge, when you are unforgiving, that's where those kids learn it. They, they're going to learn a little bit in the sacrament, and they're going to be forgiven in the sacrament, yeah. but ultimately they're going to see mom and dad, are they, do, they, do they really forgive each other? And that's, and that's such an important point to make, Father, for the, you know, anybody listening right now, that... Um, it's easy for for parents, I think, to kind of push the blame off on oh, my kids got problems. Where are they getting it from? Something out, and, and you know, we have to look at ourselves very hard, very clearly, and and realize that this is this is their steady diet when they're younger. They're growing up in an environment, the steady diet of tone of voice, even. Mm-hmm. You know, the way mom and dad talk to each other, the tone of voice, and and obviously there's emotional ups and downs. There's stress in the family. There's financial problems. There's sickness. There's all kinds of things. You know that that can really throw into the mix and make it hard. And even in those moments, we as parents can show our kids what it should look like, and to 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 overcome some of those issues or or deal with those moments when those those battles are so intense. And when we mess up, which we do, um, show our kids what it looks like and sounds like to reconcile and come back from that. You know. Um, and that's just such a key thing that, you know, I, I've seen parents, I don't know what happened to my kids. They grew up, so how was it like in the home, you know? Mm-hmm. that There's so much about that. We talk a lot about that, but on this particular point, even your tone of voice in the way you forgive, how you say it, is going to resonate in your child's minds for years, for years down the road. I still remember things, you know, that my dad said, my mom said when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, 
on you know a variety of subjects the tone of voice even i have mm-hmm. a memory of now whether it's accurate or not i don't know for sure but i can say that i have a memory of some tone that was either positive or negative based on the experience that i had let's give our children a very positive uh, example not just of the words but even of the tone and the way we do it right so they realize we are convicted and we're serious about forgiving and about really rebuilding and acknowledging and like you said, Father, I just want to emphasize this point again. Let's show, especially as husbands and fathers, um, let's show our children what it means to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes I've had to go to my kids and say, hey, you know, i got to sit you all down for a second and, and let you know, Dad needs to say he's sorry about, uh, about the way I said something or the tone of voice or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know? So it don't, don't hesitate. Without groveling, I mean, you're the father. Don't maybe not grovel, but at least to let them know that Dad can show you that I— I acknowledge that I can mess up, and I want I want my kids to know that your your forgiveness for me means a lot to me yeah. too. So that reminds me. Of don't a hesitate from that. Little antidote from from my short life as a priest a couple years ago as chaplain at the high school that you're working at now. Um, some kids were acting up at mass, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, well, it happens. But it was it was particularly noticeable to mm-hmm. me that day, and um, the way in which it was. I was like, gosh, man, this is just like it's not about me. I don't. I could literally care less. Uh, for me, it's it's the blessed sacrament. It's sure. our, it's our Lord. It's, right. it's we're here to worship God. And so at the end of mass, after mass, wasn't during mass, but at you know I processed out and then I came back in and I like pointed the finger and told this group of kids. I said, "You get over here right now," and kind of chided them and yeah. just like, "What what were you thinking?" And and you know I I felt uneasy about it, but I was insistent that I make the point that mm-hmm. hey, you don't disrespect our Lord. And then. About three months later, I was leading the retreat for these this, this group of seniors, and, and I got got through. I gave a little talk, and then I said, and, "You know, here's the thing. I, I made a mistake um, a couple months ago. Some of you probably don't even remember, but you know, I called this this kid out, and I was really frustrated in the moment. I, I acted hastily, and I acted mm-hmm. somewhat uh, unkindly, and um, and I'm sorry, and I hope you'll forgive me. And and you know, of course, these kids were just awesome and they were like oh father we love you and we totally you know we did mess up we we and they apologized and so there there was a great healing but it it was like i gotta i gotta own this one and and not walk away from it i gotta actually be a man here and step up and say okay i messed up and so it was just a great moment for again for me as a priest and for me as a human to realize okay yeah this is the lord says something about 70 times seven on this so (laughs) we got to really put this into practice so um well in the example that would have set for those kids that wow father was was willing to acknowledge something that was so many you know three months ago or what have you yeah i mean that's a memory you know as i mentioned about memories that's a memory those kids are going to take with them that there's humility in that, and, and grace operates in people's lives when things like that happen mm-hmm. that are done in you know humility and, and and true sincere, you know. Yeah, it was cool. I I ran into the kid actually a couple of years later, and he you know was at some function, and he's like, you know, father, that was still that's still that's something that stuck with him hmm. and has helped him. There you go, yeah. You know, just kind of keep it um, always in front of him. So that's great. Um, yeah, it was a great, great moment. But we, we want to kind of get into, you know, practical application. We know that's uh, that's a big question for everybody is, uh, what can I do? How can I live this out better? And uh, I want to begin with this quote. It's, uh, I use it with campus ministry, and it's one of JP2's most popular quotes. But uh, it goes, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to become the image of his son. 
and, and really the beginning of that, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and our failures. That's that alone right there. Yeah, Whoa, just nice. like that is one of the most practical <clears throat> things is to realize just because you mess up, and you may mess up big, mm-hmm. that's not who you are. Again, I, this great quote, uh, you know, the devil calls you by your sins. The mm-hmm. father calls you by your name, you know. That's it. Like I, that's, it, that, that's in my heart and my bones. Like, we should stop the show right there. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's good <laughs> oh, enough. Oh, it's five minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the devil calls you by your sins. Well, the devil's the great accuser. Right. Constantly reminding us, accusing us. No, remember when you did this? Now, mm-hmm. don't you don't don't forget this. Which is why we don't want to be that way to other people either. Once right. once something is forgiven, and I would tell my kids this all the time. Talk about practical application here and putting things in action. Is when you forgive your children, let them know that it's over with. And well, you're, you're not even going to bring it up with them again. Just as our Lord forgets our sins when he forgives them, that whole great story of St. Margaret Mary and, yeah. and going to our Lord and, and the priest, that's another, maybe another time. But in general, I tell my kids, once we get through this, it's done. Okay? I'm not going to dwell on it. We're not going to bring it back up. We're going to learn from it. Rearview mirrors are small. They're there so you can see what you did and learn from it. But the windshield is big, and that's the direction we're going. That's right. So the direction of the windshield, not the rearview mirror. So That's right. That's, a, again, such a great image of what we've got to talk about is this forgive and forget. Uh, that's the, a practical part of, part of it, too, from us. Experientially, we we know we've received forgiveness for our sins, and God forgets them, and we've got to forget them. We've you know move on. Yeah. Um, Don't beat yourself up, over right? Your, right. Over this, your humanity. That yeah. cultural joke about Catholics and the guilty conscience. I think part of it is because we do fail to move on. We kind of do stay yeah. in, in bed with our sin. We're like, gosh, I am all these terrible things. Well, no, no, you're not. You're not. The Lord loves you immeasurably, mm-hmm. and. Each time we encounter his love in the sacrament of confession, it's just another ounce of that love being poured into our hearts to transform us. But, yeah, getting into the chariot, thinking about, okay, what would I tell uh, somebody? First thing first, Doug mentioned it earlier, but go every month. If you don't, if you mm-hmm. don't think you have good enough sins, trust me. Even the little ones, <laughs> those are good enough to confess. Yeah. Um, you don't need to go just for mortal sins. Confess right. venial sins. Right. You'll, you'll, you'll still receive grace. And that grace is important. Right. Just keep Ob- feeding yourself with that grace. Objectively, it's yeah. good. It's like going to get a steak at least once a <laughs> month, a really good one. Um, you need that, um, and it's going to change your life. So going and making that consistent act of uh, humility, I'm going to do my examination of conscience. That's a big part of it is making yeah. sure you've examined your conscience well and going. So my first encouragement would just be explicitly going once a month. Make that your New Year's resolu- resolution in 2020. I'm going to go once a month on the third Saturday or whatever, you know, whatever day, but, but do it as a family. If you've got a family, if you're an individual, do it as an individual, but go once a month. Um, what else you got? What else do you think is helpful? I would just say, um, when you're there, remember that something is happening here that is outside of our, our, um, uh, complete understanding. The doubts will creep in. Remember when the doubts creep in, uh, it's either coming from a natural, uh, point or it's coming from a supernatural attack. Uh, you know, the demons don't want us going in the confessional. Okay, right. so if you don't want to go and you're doubting and you're questioning, that's not from God. Okay, God does not want us to doubt his mercy. He does not want us to doubt the power and efficacy of the sacrament. He does not want us to doubt that the mercy is there. When the doubts creep in and the distractions creep in, it's not from God. Stick to the discipline. 
Mm-hmm. Don't base it on feelings. Mm-hmm. In a foxhole, when you're fighting, you don't. You between discipline and feelings and emotions, you're going to want the discipline. Discipline right. gets you through the fight, not the feeling and emotion. So don't base the sacrament of confession on feeling emotion. Don't let doubts and distractions get in the way. That's either coming from something naturally inside of you that's struggling, or it's coming from the enemy itself. Don't let that happen. The Holy Spirit's always calling us to deeper uh, contrition, deeper um, union through the sacrament. Uh, of confession in this way. Yeah, I like that. And and just kind of put a final note on that is that the the reality is is we're never going to be prepared enough to make no. the best confession. But preparing as well as we can, making that humble and contrite confession of sins and doing our penance and and the practical point of that is do your penance well. If you're given three Hail Marys for the souls in purgatory, Pray those three Hail Marys with your whole mind, your whole soul, and your whole heart. If you're given a dozen rosaries, pray them with great <laughs> vigor and love. I don't think you're going to get wow. that. Wow, but <laughs> that's quite a yeah. quite a priest to go to. Yeah. I would also speaking of that, I would say bring the Blessed Mother into this equation. Mm-hmm. We 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 got to mention Mary on this. Absolutely, she is the Mother of Mercy. Yep. Bring Mary into your your confession. Ask her intercession. Ask her to help you know your sins. And I call on Mary all the time, help me, Mother of Mercy, know what I'm doing here, help me confess well, and then be there with me as I try to rebuild and, with a firm amendment, make make better down the road now. Yep, yep. Our Lady, just like, like I said, if you're standing in line waiting for the confession, praying your rosary yeah. is a great way to be reminded. So Amen. Um, we just want to say thanks again to our, our listening audience. Uh, Doug and I have a great time. We, we really are trying to get to do this more often both of us have very yeah. busy schedules but we're looking forward to more episodes in the coming year uh, we're praying uh, for you our listeners and for the church in its entirety and thanksgiving for uh, today the 83rd birthday of our holy father yeah. Pope francis uh, praying for the bishops throughout the world to be faithful to the deposit mm-hmm. of faith and for all families as we approach the feast of Christmas and the Feast of the Holy Family, that they'll remain faithful to God and His mercies. Uh, We want to encourage you to check out our website, uh, www.stphilipinstitute.org, and if you have any questions or topics you'd want us to uh, talk about in future uh, episodes, to uh, send us an email at uh, podcast at stphilip.org. And so thanks again. God bless all of you. Thank you, Doug, for your time. Thank you, Father. Good Uh, to be with you again. Yeah, look forward to seeing you soon. Amen. The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.